Matthew chapter 10 this morning, as we study our way through the Bible, we're in the Gospels now. If you weren't here last week, last week was our, our introduction into the New Testament. Prior to this point this year, we've been in the Old Testament, working our way through the Bible, but now we're in the Gospels, and today we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular, Matthew chapter 10. Now, our focus is really going to be Matthew 10, starting in verse 5, but when we read together, we're going to start reading in verse 1, just to set a little bit of the context of who this is speaking to, but also that becomes important because we think of our inclusion and, and, uh, and how we fit in all of this. Do you remember a time, do you remember the days when in order to talk to someone on the phone, you actually had to talk to them on the phone, right? You had to pick up the phone and you would dial the numbers and you would call them. Nowadays, most of the time when we talk to someone, really we text with them, right? It's a lot of the way that we communicate or we direct message them somehow. But uh, it used to be before, uh, you know, in, in the dark ages, the, the, uh, the 20th century in the 1900s, uh, that you would call someone and and do you remember that prior to the advent of caller ID, you didn't even know who was calling? Gasp, right? Like you, the phone would ring and you had no idea who might be on the other end. My dad worked for Southwestern Bell for uh, really the entirety of his, of his, uh, his working years, his career, 40-something years, 45-ish years that he worked for Southwestern Bell. And my my grandfather, his dad before him, also 40-something years with Southwestern Bell. And so uh, that was just in our blood. But I'll re- I remember that because my dad worked for Southwestern Bell, we had this special phone at our house before you could get it anywhere else that had this new thing that they had invented that was called caller ID, okay? And I'm, uh, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. I, I promise you that this is the truth. My grandfather actually is the one who invented the idea of how call routing and switching would be done in order that you could determine who would call. Now, Bell took that idea and never paid him a dime in royalties for his intellectual property or any of that. But uh, true story. I'm not making that up. Uh, that, so, So this idea of seeing who's calling and knowing who's calling and and having an idea. Well, the reason I I use all of that as kind of our introduction here into this text is because the focus that I want us to see this morning is all about the call. The call that Jesus is extending here to his disciples. Understanding who it is that is extending the call helps us to embrace that call, to live for him, to live in his purpose, to live in his provision for our lives. And and so what we see here in this particular text is that Jesus urges his disciples to obey his call, to follow his call, and to receive his reward. Now, if you like to jump ahead in the notes, I did not just give you the answers to all the fill in the blanks, okay? So for those of you who are scribbling because you thought that I just gave it all away, I didn't. But that is really the the focus of this morning's message, what we see in Matthew chapter 10, to, to obey the call, follow then in that call, and as the result of that, to receive his reward. And what is that reward? Well, of course, we're going to answer that question 
just by reading in Matthew 10, because Jesus answers that question for us. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 10. The gospel of Matthew itself is arranged around five different sermons that Jesus preaches. And so in the world of like theology, biblical theology, we refer to these as discourses. Each of these sermons is given the title of a discourse, but that's just a really kind of a technical term for a sermon. And so Matthew arranges, I told you last week, if you were here, we talked about the intentionality, the purpose behind the way that Matthew has arranged the material of his gospel. Part of the way that we see that even is just as you read through the the book of Matthew, he's structured the entire gospel around highlighting or pushing to the front and center these five sermons that Jesus preaches. This is the beginning effectively of the second of these sermons. Now the first of those sermons is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, of course, records that for us. But then, beginning in chapter 10, we have Jesus' sermon to the twelve, his sermon to his disciples. And I want us to read together the sort of the, the initial part of this sermon today as Jesus is calling. Remember, that's the, the key theme here. He's calling his disciples. He's calling them. He's, he's urging them to obey that call, to follow that call, and through that to receive his reward for their lives. So let's read together. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. That's the same Matthew writing this gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these twelve, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals and a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You may well remember that from the Old Testament text, of course, we have the story of how God destroyed the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness, because of their sin. And so Jesus is saying that go out. He's sending out the 12 to go and preach. And and if you come to a place and they reject you and they reject your teaching, then you're to shake the dust off your feet. You're to keep going and just know this, that judgment will come on this for their rejection of the truth. That's the point that, that Jesus is making. Now, 
we're going to stop reading there, but you can even just glance forward in the text. If you've got your Bible open or you're looking on an app, you can sort of scroll. But even just as you glance forward, you see that the sermon continues. That's not the end of the sermon. Jesus goes on to give more instruction. And, and part of the instruction that he gives them is that they are to expect opposition along the way. That they're, they, will, they will, and that's the key word, will encounter opposition. They will encounter people who, who don't receive them. They will be beaten. They will be oppressed. They will face hardship along the way. But the point that Jesus is making is, in all of this, persevere. Now, he's instructing them and he's teaching them. And this is a really important moment in, in the, we'll, we'll say, the, the, the ministry of Jesus. The period of time that Jesus spent with his disciples, roughly three years, during which he was teaching them and instructing them. Because effectively, what Jesus is doing here is he's laying the groundwork for them for the very same thing that they were to do and the ministry that they were to continue after his death and his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 28, in fact, the final words of the Gospel of Matthew, we have the very famous passage that we call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, as Jesus is ascending to heaven, we hear him instruct his disciples, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. He says to go and to, and to baptize them and make, make disciples. Teach them to observe the things that I've taught you. And he says, lo, I am with you always. Now, there are examples in the Gospels of times when Jesus teaches his disciples something and they don't understand it or, or it confuses them somehow or, or there's, there's discussion, maybe even some, some disagreement among them about what this means. And we have several examples of that where the disciples effectively say, Jesus, we don't get it. Or Jesus recognizes what's happening and he says, listen, you guys don't understand. Let me explain it further. You know what's interesting in that passage in Matthew 28? When Jesus tells his disciples to go into the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to, to, to teach them all that he's observed, to, to continue this ministry, this work, after Jesus ascends and he's out of sight, what we don't have is record of the disciples standing around and looking at each other like, what do you think he meant well, what was that, right? Like, how are we going to do that? And you know, the reason why we don't have record of that, I believe, is because they understood clearly what Jesus meant. One of the ways that we know that they understood clearly what Jesus was instructing them to do is because here we have in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is telling them, and he's instructing them, and, and he's sending them out to go do the very thing. He's laying that foundation. They come back later, and they tell Jesus about all that had happened and all that they had seen, and they sort of report to him, and they debrief together. Mark's gospel makes that clear, that they sort of debrief together and talk through all the things that had happened. But Jesus is he's preparing them, and then he's sending them out. He's got, a, he's got a purpose for them, which really leads us to the first thing that I want us to see in this text. There are three things that, that we'll see together today as it has to do with this idea of the call. And the first is that we are called to a mission. Called to a mission. And so, in Matthew chapter 10, particularly in verse 5, we see Jesus giving very plain instructions about where they are to go and what they are to do. They are to go into 
all the places where they might encounter what he describes here as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, they are not to go to the Gentiles, and they are not to go to the towns of the Samaritans. The Gentiles would have been anyone who was not Jewish, anyone who was not of, uh, particularly at this point, of the southern tribe of Judah, because you have then also this reference to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the remnants of what was once the northern ten tribes. So you can think of the, the twelve tribes of Israel, and you have the, you have the Levites, that's the priestly, uh, the, the priestly group or the, the priestly uh, clan, and then you have the tribe of Judah, and that was the, what we would refer to as the southern tribe or the southern kingdom later when it was a divided kingdom. And of the northern ten tribes, the remaining ten tribes or ten clans of the nation of Israel, the northern tribes were captured first. And then through a system, uh, a period of sort of systematic integration with their captors, they began to intermarry with the peoples of the land, and a new ethnic uh, strain, we'll call it, emerged, the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans and the Jews, you may well know from other stories in the Gospels, they did not get along. They, they, were, they were opposed to one another, and, and, and they had to try to coexist in the same region, in the ter- in same territory, but there was a lot of animosity between them. Sound familiar? Sound a little bit like some things that are going on even today in Israel, like literally as we speak? You know, the reason for that is because actually the situation today is just a carryover from this. It, historically, it's just a carryover from this very same, the, the, the very same blood feud that would have existed here is what we find remnants of even today. And so think of what you may know from the modern headlines of the animosity, the hatred, the, the, the distrust that exists between these peoples. It's the very same thing in Jesus' day. Now later, Jesus himself appears to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus himself extends the message of the gospel to all. But at this point, at this moment, Jesus is limiting his disciples' focus to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which would have been those of the tribe of Judah, effectively. And he's saying that they're to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So their mission is to go and reach people with this message of the kingdom. That was their mission. They were to go out and preach the good news. We call that today, we call that the gospel, right? That's the word that we use. Gospel just comes from an old English word, good spell, which literally just means good news. And so they were to go out and they were to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, that the Messiah had come, that the Savior had come to his people, the anointed one, the one that they had prayed for, the one they had hoped in, the one they had longed for, had come and his name was Jesus. And Jesus even tells them, some will receive this, some won't. Those that receive it will be blessed. Those who don't, you're to keep moving, keep going. Don't be weighed down by their unbelief. Now, again, what I find so interesting but also really important about what Jesus instructs the disciples to do here in this situation 
is effectively that same mission guides us today. That we are to make it our mission, our purpose, to go into the world where we are and to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus. The good news that there is salvation through faith in this same Christ, this same anointed one, this same chosen one of God who gave his life ultimately for our sins, who is the fulfillment of all that, that was promised, the embodiment of God himself, God incarnate, Emmanuel, as we saw last week in Matthew 1, God with us. And I were to preach this good news of Jesus. And much like Jesus is saying to his, his disciples here, originally the 12, I think that we need to understand that there will be opposition. There will be those who hear and believe and receive the message, and there will be others who don't, who reject it, who who scoff even at the message of the gospel. And we are not to be weighed down by whether they receive or reject the truth, which admittedly is easier said than done, but we're not to be weighed down by that because it's not us that they're receiving or rejecting, but ultimately Jesus. And so we have to make it our focus to share Christ with others, to share his gospel, share his good news, and trusting the Holy Spirit to work And knowing that those who receive Jesus, who receive this message by faith, will be blessed. I do not believe that the the instruction here, though it's given to the twelve, is limited to the twelve. I think this is is an instruction, this is a, a, a call, a mission for us as well today. We are called to a mission. But not only are we called to a mission, I want you to notice that we're called to a method We're called to a method. Now, there are a lot of methods for sharing the gospel. Maybe you've heard of some of these. Maybe you've participated in classes or you've gone to trainings. Maybe even you've used some of these. I'll think of some that just I have used in my lifetime. Uh, And and, and you may recognize things like Evangelism Explosion or EE. Uh, There was also one that was called Continued Witness Training. Anybody remember that? CWT. There was The Faith method. You remember there were the five things, F-A-I-T-H, and you learned like each one of them would correspond, and you could go through that gospel presentation. Maybe, you, maybe you've learned a method like just learning the Romans road, walking through the gospel by looking at key passages in the book of Romans. Today, some of the popular ones that some of our students have been trained in are three circles, the three circles method, or uh, there, there are a lot of other methods, right? The bridge illustration, you've got, you've got two sides, you've got us on one side, and Jesus I mean, our God on the other side, and, and, but there's a gap, and it's the cross of Jesus that becomes the bridge. You've maybe seen that. You could draw that out simply. There are lots of methods. What I'm not saying here is that Jesus gives one particular method, that there's an ideal method. That, so maybe it might be helpful to think of it as more like the idea of a, those are methodologies, not methods themselves, methodologies. Those are ways to take the method that Jesus gives us and give it some feet, right? To give it some some particular teeth so so that it works. But the method itself is simply this. Preach the gospel and point people to Jesus. Preach the gospel and point people to Jesus. Notice what he says in verses six, seven, eight. 
Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Proclaim as you go. That's really important. It's not just proclaim. Proclaim as you go, which is a way of saying everywhere, all the time, that this ought to become a, a, a way that we, that we exist, that we operate, a lifestyle even. That's a whole other method that you've heard of, lifestyle evangelism, right? But we're to proclaim as we go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. What is Jesus, all of this that he's instructing them to do, and this is what I want you to pay attention to, is just do the very same things that he had done before them. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. You can, just a few verses before. So this Matthew 10 is the beginning of this sermon where Jesus is instructing his disciples. But look at Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. This is going to be very familiar when I begin to read this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. The fact that he was teaching in the synagogues, by the way, meant that he was, at this point, particularly targeting those lost sheep of the house of Israel, those who still followed that, uh, what we would refer to as the Jewish faith. So, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I would refer to this, in fact, I've preached a sermon once. Uh, it, it, it was the Sunday before COVID happened, way back in March of 2020. The last Sunday before the world got crazy, I preached a message from Matthew chapter 9, and we referred to this as Jesus' strategy for saving scattered sheep. That was what I called that. As we, as we focused how Jesus sends us out into the world to reach people with the message of the gospel and that we are called to be the laborers of the harvest we're the ones that are to go what are we to do how we're just to follow the example that jesus set to go out to to preach the gospel proclaim the good news and when necessary to to live it out to demonstrate now i'm i think we can make too much of this i'm not saying that jesus is calling us specifically to um, heal the, you know, he, heal the sick and cast out every disease and, and those things. I mean, I, even then, that would have been the Lord's work. Uh, there would have been a, a miraculous way that I think the disciples were able to operate in this space because they had the Jesus himself literally with them, and they were operating in the power that he gave them for that moment. You and I have something even better called the Holy Spirit, Jesus connects those dots in John chapter 16 verse 7 where he tells us it's for your good that I should go because unless I go the helper won't come and so we have the Holy Spirit with us we don't have this special dispensation of his physical presence but we have his Holy Spirit with us guiding us leading us going with us literally everywhere we go so that we can preach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of Jesus the good news that he saves that's the method 
And maybe you adopt a particular methodology. Maybe there's one of these programs or these plans that you've learned that you think is really helpful. Maybe there's something I haven't mentioned that you've learned that you think that's a really helpful way that I can share Jesus with other people. And I would say, great, use it. You know what the best method for sharing Christ with someone else is? The one you'll use. The one that, you, that you'll actually use. So whatever it is, just preach Jesus. Proclaim his gospel, his good news, that there is salvation. And as we do, we ought to expect some people will receive it, praise God. Some won't. And that's okay too, because it's not us that they receive or reject, but Jesus. Let's make our focus preaching, proclaiming the gospel. So we're called to a mission, we're called to a method, which is to proclaim, to make it a part of our life. Preach and proclaim as you go. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, make this your purpose. So when you wake up in the morning, whatever it is that you do, like whatever your, your job is, I want you to see that as that's just a cover for your greater kingdom purpose, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to people everywhere. Maybe you work in sales, right? Well, praise the Lord. If you work in sales, you probably have a really broad network of people, a broad network of contacts in whatever your industry is. Lots of people that you come in contact with, and every one of those is someone that you can impact with the gospel. Maybe you teach school. Praise the Lord. God has placed you as a missionary in the midst of a mission field that, that is surrounded by darkness. Every one of those students needs Jesus. Maybe, maybe you work with your hands, right? You do something physical. You work on cars or you work, you know, on, uh, in, in the oil field or, or, or something else. Where you, well, well, praise the Lord. Everything you do, everyone that you serve with whatever your business is, is someone that you have the opportunity to be a living embodiment of the, of the grace of Jesus. You see how we could just, we could carry this on. We could, we could take each and every job description that exists and we could find a way to weave the gospel into that. And that's the point, really. Is that whatever it is that you do, that's great, but your greater purpose is the mission of the gospel. And the method that you've been called to is to proclaim as you go. To just make it your purpose in every little thing, in every little way, to put Jesus at the forefront so that when others look at you, they see him. Finally, we see that we're called to a man. We're called to a man. Now, jump forward to chapter 10 and look at verse 40. Jesus said, whoever receives you, receives who? Me. Whoever receives you, receives me, is what he says in chapter 10, verse 40. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. You understand that we're not just called to serve a, a mission. We're not just called to serve a method. But ultimately the call that everyone who is a follower of Jesus has embraced is a call to follow a man, Jesus. In John chapter 14 Jesus is answering a question from one of his disciples. He's telling them about some things that are to come that they don't quite understand. And he even tells them, you're not going to understand this now, but later this will make sense. And Thomas says, well, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way to follow you. And in John 14, 6, Jesus answers Thomas with these words that 
I suppose you, you will be very familiar with. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, even Jesus helps us to realize in, with his teaching that we are called to a man. Not just called to follow a, a mission, not just called to follow a methodology, but called to follow a man, Jesus. And that the reward for following Jesus is, drumroll, it's Jesus, right? The reward is not the blessing that we receive. The reward is not all the things that come with that. The reward is Jesus. We introduced a new song this morning called Nothing Else. And when we sang that song, I don't know if you caught the, the, the words, we, we sang about, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I, I want to be, be caught up in your presence, caught up in the moment, caught up worshiping you, caught up singing to you that Essentially, the song was about pursuing Jesus and nothing else. Not the things that come with knowing Jesus. Not, the, not the, what we think of as the, the blessings or focusing on the, the, the benefits. But fixing our eyes on Jesus and saying, that's enough for me. You know, in order to sing that and mean it, in order to say that and really mean it, we have to understand that we are called to a man. We're called to Jesus, to follow him. I wonder, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Has there ever been a moment when you know for certain that you have answered this call? The caller ID, let me just tell you, the caller ID, who's calling? It's Jesus. He's calling us to a mission, yes, He's calling us to a method to proclaim, to preach, proclaim, to share with anyone, everyone, everywhere. What is it that we're to proclaim to them? We're to proclaim that there is salvation in Jesus. He is the one, the one who, in this day, we see the one who had come. Now we can say, looking backward at it, he's the one who came, who offered his life on the cross as payment for our sin, who proved his power over sin and death through his resurrection and his ascension to the Father where he now awaits, we await his return, his second coming. And in the days between now and when Jesus comes again, we're given a a call, a purpose, each one of us, to live for him. Called to a mission? Yes. Called to a method? Yes. Called to man. His name is Jesus. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response this morning. And as we sing this final song that we have, this song of response, in that moment, our staff will be standing here at the front. Myself, Brad, Josh will be standing here at the front. And if God is, if he's speaking to you today, you know that there's that, that, that inner voice of conviction that's telling you that you need to go and respond, that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, then we would urge you to make this the day that you surrender your life to him, to make this the day that you answer the call to this man, Jesus, by responding to him in faith, that you would surrender your life to him, that you would become a part of his kingdom, and that you would make it your life's mission to put Jesus first in everything. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And even as we prepare for this moment of response, I'm gonna lead us in a moment of prayer, asking that God would 
would move in our hearts, that he would speak to us today, that we might, that we might be stirred to follow this man, Jesus. So Lord, it is our desire today to put you first in all things, to make you the center of our response, Jesus. It's not just about following a set of rules. It's not a a set of beliefs or teachings or practices. Yes, there are those things. There are doctrines we recognize. There are certain practices that we're to... But all of that stems from a heart that has been transformed by knowing you, Jesus. If there's anyone here today who's not responded to you in faith, anyone listening today perhaps that doesn't know you, I pray that this would be the moment when they would turn to you in faith. They would surrender their life to you, Jesus. They would answer the call to follow, that they might receive your righteous reward, freedom and forgiveness. So move in our hearts even as we respond to you in faith. We pray. Amen.